Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Amen, amen. Well, I have the distinct privilege of bringing you the final message, at least at the church here, on uh, on New Year's Eve. And uh, for all of you that are here and and watching online, we're we're sure glad that you're here today. If you brought a Bible, and we're really going to be encouraging you to do that, all the scriptures will be up on the screen, but still, bring your Bible, bring your journal, take notes in it, uh, because you're going to get some really good uh, insights uh, as we walk through the Word of God. If you brought a Bible, open it up to two passages. Both of them happen to be in the Old Testament, although we'll look at some New Testament scripture today. But we're going to look at Isaiah 58, Isaiah chapter 58, a few verses there, and we're going to look at Ezra chapter 8. Let me kind of catch everybody up in case the holidays have fogged uh, this trajectory we've been on. This is part two, uh, a mini part of a series that we've been on across all of our campuses called A Great Work. And we've been looking back at how the local church, even though there seems to be a cultural trend, not just here but around the world, moving away from the church, the scriptures say that would happen in the last days, but the church is not just a good thing. It's not just a humanitarian or a charitable organization. It's not just somewhere where you get inspired and you can be comforted you know, by religious passages. But the Bible actually says the church is, is a great thing, in fact, the greatest work on the earth, because it's the Lord Jesus Christ's uh, instrument to accomplish the Great Commission and to bring about his plan and his purpose here on the earth and all the way as we get into eternity. And so we've been using some Old Testament books in Nehemiah. We'll look at Ezra again today. We looked at Haggai. And we've been pulling from there in a singular story. All of these prophets talk about a singular uh, ongoing event that happened over about a 100-year period. And how after 70 years of slavery and captivity, the Lord brought the Israelites out and they went back to Jerusalem that had been broken down and destroyed and they literally rebuilt the city and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the sacredness, the reverence, the worship of God in their lives as a people. And we've been looking at that, comparing and drawing from that, saying the same way as a New Testament church We're not just trying to build a group of like-minded people. It's not just about, you know, gathering a social group and we kind of lean towards morality and lean towards some of the principles of the Bible, but the church is actually the gathering point of people that have been called out of darkness and into Christ's marvelous light. And because of that, have committed themselves to serve God, to serve one another, and to serve anybody in the surrounding community, really in the world, who is in need of Jesus. So the first part of this series, we, we kind of four parts, we just went practical first. We talked about how if all of this just kind of hits you and, and it doesn't really stir anything up or doesn't resonate, well, then you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to realign your heart until you get a burden for the kingdom of God because the Bible's clear 
Everything we're doing here is very temporary, as wonderful as it is, but only those things that that have an eternal impact is going to last and is going to mean anything for us. So you've got to get a burden. Then as soon as you begin to to sense and recognize that, you know, your your heart, not a feeling, not a warm fuzzy, but your heart's realigning, then you've got to make a move. You, you can't just sit and believe something, but only when we put action to believe, you've got to jump in and say, okay, I've got to make, make, make a move here, and I've got to re-engage the body of Christ the way I'm called to. The moment you do that, the New Testament's really clear, you have an enemy who's going to do everything he can to, to oppose you. The wheels are going to come off the cart. He's going to try to talk you out of it. He's going to throw circumstances at you. And so the third message was, you have to learn to stand your ground. You have to learn to plant your feet in the relationship of Christ and in the Word of God and, uh, and trust that He's going to move you through that, and He will because He's faithful. As you do that, what you're going to begin to recognize is what it's like to live a blessed life, not circumstance or challenge-free, but a blessed life, one that, that understands God's purpose, that is living a fulfilled life because you're not only experiencing accomplishment and success on the outside, but all of this has a root, and you're leaning it towards eternity, towards the kingdom of God, towards leaving a legacy for other generations, and the Lord will begin to, to bless you the way he promises in the word. Well, we moved out of that first section that was practical, and we moved into the next part of this little of the study, and it was a spiritual renewal. And Pastor Brandon brought a phenomenal message talking about the importance of bringing back the Bible. How we, as a culture, really around the world, uh, by and large, we're straying away from the Bible. That people are becoming more and more biblically illiterate. They don't know what the Bible says. It's not even part of the culture or the fabric as we've enjoyed for hundreds of years here in the United States, but it's disappearing. So we have to bring back the Bible, and then we have to begin to consecrate our heart. And we saw that Ezra did this, that Nehemiah called the people back and they read the scriptures and they began to make commitments to clean, to sanctify their life and to dedicate their, their life as holy to the Lord and to separate themselves to the Lord. Not that they quit their jobs and, you know, they all became monks and moved up to a monastery, but, but they were beginning to say, we're going to live the way the Lord calls us to. And we noted that there, that there was a New Testament relevance here that God calls his people to be fully devoted, to be consecrated. It says we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, we, we have a different drum that we march to. We have a different, some different goals, different metrics. And because of that, the Lord is able to bless our lives as we consecrate to him. And one of the biblical disciplines that has to do with learning to consecrate your life to the Lord is fasting. And so today we're going to talk about fasting and prayer. I knew that you were hoping we would on this last Sunday, moving to New Year, as you've got the plans for New Year's celebration happening tonight, and you're going to feast one last time. Pastor, can we please talk about fasting? But we're going to talk about fasting today, and listen to me, if you've heard these things before, you're going to hear some things that will sharpen you, I promise. You're going to hear some things that will spur your interest, that will encourage you to lean in because you'll understand uh, really what this is all about. So here, we're going to break it up in three. We're going to talk about first, what is fasting? Biblically speaking, what's fasting? We're going to talk about what fasting's not. That'll be a little brief. I'll just give you a few examples, help to sharpen you. And then you'll know we're moving towards the last part of the message, 
when we highlight three relevant reasons why you and I should fast, all right? So, so let me just say something right off the bat. In today's culture, we don't have to work as hard to understand a premise of fasting as maybe we did a few decades ago. Fasting's pretty popular now. Intermittent fasting and people doing it for physical reasons and people understand and accept, not saying everybody practices it, but they understand this is legitimate, right? It can boost your cognitive levels. It can boost your physical performances. It can counter, you know, obesity and, and counter sluggishness and some of the associated diseases and things that, that tend to come because of that. It can reduce all kinds of in, inflammation and really just improve your overall health. I won't give you an exhaustive list, but everybody gets that now. Nobody's arguing with that. Again, not saying everybody practices, but it's common knowledge now. But what a lot of people don't understand is that there's a real and a similar benefit, spiritually speaking. In fact, Romans chapter 1 tells us that a lot of the things we can see and understand in the tangible world were actually designed by God that way so that we can bring those realities and compare them to things in the spiritual world and say, oh, that's how it works. It's not a one-to-one exact But we can get an idea of things that we can't see by looking at how God designed the things we can see. So when it comes to fasting, there really is legitimate, measurable, tangible benefits here. But let me just tell you, when it comes to our spiritual life, fasting is to consecration, dedicating yourself to the Lord, what baptism is to salvation. And here's what I'm going to say. Baptism doesn't get you saved Baptism is your first step of obedience after you're saved. It's what publicly demonstrates by, actionable, by, by an actionable decision, I'm going to separate myself and serve the Lord. Fasting is not going to consecrate your life, but fasting is your first actionable step in another level of consecration. So if you want to clean, if you want to kind of purify, then fasting is one of those biblical principles or the biblical disciplines that will help get you there quickly and, 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 and in a very focused manner. In fact, when I was in my first year of Bible college, we were required to, to read what's now a classic in Christendom with regard to spiritual disciplines, and it's called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It's been around for a long time. It's been revised over and over and re-released. If you haven't read it, it's worth a worth read. But here's what he wrote in chapter one. He said the spiritual disciplines, which again includes fasting, it's not limited to that, but it includes fasting, are not some dull drudgery aimed at exterminating laughter from the face of the earth. It's kind of what we think about the word discipline in general. The purpose of God-given disciplines is to liberate you from the stifling slavery of self-interest in fear. In other words, on one side of the spectrum, we have a tendency as human beings to go overboard, to overindulge in everything, right? On the other side, we make these little prisons for ourselves out of insecurity, out of fear, out of past failures, and we say, we're never going there again. Well, fasting is one of those things that that just sets us free and recalibrates us to be able to hear from the Lord again. It goes on and says, for when the inner spirit is liberated from all that weighs weighs it down, singing, dancing, and even shouts of joy will characterize the spirit's life. Maybe you've never experienced this. I have a number of times. Maybe you've watched a bunch of kids playing and laughing. Maybe you've seen people just celebrating with joy. And in, in these little snippets, these moments of time, 
time, something inside of you says, I wish I could do that. Something inside of you resonates and says, that, there's a part of me that feels that way, but for some reason in all of my growing and all of my experience in life, I've quarantined those things off. I, I can't feel that like I used to. I can't express that like I used to. But fasting brings you back, cleans all that stuff, scrubs it all down, and brings you back to who God has called you to be. Again, one of these disciplines that helps with that is fasting. And so in its narrowest sense, when you study it from a physiological point of view or from a biblical point of view, in its narrowest sense, it's abstaining from the pleasures of eating, but when you bring it into the biblical context, it's abstaining, abstaining from the pleasures of eating in order to draw closer to God, in order to gain spiritual balance, vitality, and clarity. No matter whether you're reading from the Old Testament, which is Hebrew and Aramaic, or from the New Testament, which is Greek, both of those words talk about abstaining. Hebrew, it literally means to cover the mouth. In the Greek, it means to abstain from food. But when you start studying from the Bible, you realize, okay, this is not just about not eating. It, it expands the understanding and the meaning of what it means to cover the mouth or to abstain from things that are nourishing us. And it, it, it expands it not just to our physical body, but it's talking about every part of us, things that we take in to bring nourishment, to bring refreshing, to bring restoration to us. And it, it describes it as abstaining from those things in order to bring about a spiritual renewal that will align our life, that will put us back in rhythm with God's plan, not just in times of urgency, but really learning to live a fasted lifestyle, learning to moderate, learning, learning to, 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 to monitor the ebbs and the flows in our mind, our emotions, our spirituality, our physical body included, our relationships, and how can we maintain optimum level so that we can hear from the Lord and cooperate with him, even though we're imperfect, we're flawed individuals, how can we do that? And one of the ways is we do it through fasting. Now, if you're tracking with me, at least in terms of the benefit, you should be thinking, that sounds great. Man, that would be awesome if we can live that way. There's only one problem, and we've all experienced it, and that is our flesh hates fasting. It doesn't matter what you fast. Our flesh hates fasting. The moment you make a decision that you're going to pull back from anything that you enjoy, there's a part of you that starts negotiating. There's a part, you don't, I mean, you don't have to make this up, right? Inside of you, you're already talking yourself out of what another part of yourself really wants to do. And it begins to say, no, we did, I don't think that's a good idea. Let me tell you why we can't. If you wait a week, once we get past this big project, well, the holidays are right here. You know, there's going to be a celebration. We're, we're, we're going to only a month and a half away from Valentine's Day. Why would we start this now? There's a whole bunch of things. It's going to try to negotiate with you. In fact, let me tell you something you're gonna, that you're going to see if you're not, if you've already, you've probably already seen it or if you're not paying attention, you, you will. And I'm not being judgmental. But one of the things that happens in Christendom when we get around the first of the year, fasting comes up because it's a legit spiritual exercise, right? It's a discipline that will focus us in. But one of the things you're going to see all over the internet is you're going to see this thing called the Daniel Fast. And the Daniel Fast is legit, right? It's scriptural. It's accurate. We, we, we know today, I can use this language, the Daniel Fast is actually a strict vegan diet 
that prohibits any animal product or leavened breads and any processed foods. It eliminates caffeine. Uh, if you kind of drink alcohol from time to time, it says, nope, we're not doing that. And we're going somewhere between 10 and 21 days. 21 days is the classic. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 10. However, back to the flesh negotiating. Here's what else you're going to find. You're going to find a ton of recipes. You're going to find a ton of Daniel fast things that will walk you through. Some of them will actually say you can use these recipes and it won't even feel like you're fasting. You can enjoy. You can, and, and it's like, see, it's the flesh saying, how can I do something without actually doing something? How can I get the benefits without experiencing any of the, the disciplines, any of the parameter? And, and it's so deceptive. I mean, you'll actually talk yourself into it, and your logic on that side will be stellar. Will be, well, that's true, because I, you know, I need to keep my strength up. I, I need to make sure my mental health and my emotional health, because I got a lot going on in me. I'm not challenging any of those things per se. I'm just saying we have to be really careful, especially in the last days, because the Bible says in the last days, one of the most used weapons the enemy will use is deception. Let, let, me, let me frame it in a little more. Self-deception. Thinking that you're doing the right thing, but not examining it by Bible principles and Bible truth and finding out that you're doing the wrong thing. I'm going to actually give you the scripture reference in a little bit, but one of the things that, that jumps up in my heart, one of the scriptures is that one in Proverbs that says, there's a way that seems like it's right. That's always caught my attention, right? It's not haphazard. It's not playing. It's not obviously, you know, self-centered. It, it seems like it, you've thought it through. You've read articles. You've talked to friends. It seems like it's right. But because it's not based solidly on the principles of the word of God, it's going to lead you to crash and burn. It won't work the way you want it to. And, and this is really what we're up against. But that being said, fasting's all over the Bible. In fact, so much so that by the time we get to the New Testament, the New Testament's not saying you should fast. It's not saying if you fast. The New Testament's saying when you fast. Because it was, it was just an accepted part of not just their religious lifestyle, but of their lifestyle period. Let me just give you a few examples that you can find in the Bible. Uh, Moses fasted for 40 days. And because of it, he was able to come down off the mountain with 10 commandments, and he was glowing, literally glowing with, with the glory of God. We have Daniel that fasted for 21 days. I just mentioned that. And because of that, he, he experienced an angelic intervention. He got wisdom. He got revelation. He got incredible favor with the king. Elijah fasted for 40 days. And not only was he refreshed and recharged after an incredible confrontation with Jezebel, but he actually was able to, to, uh, to identify and to anoint his protege, Elisha, who would follow him. King David fasted for seven days to repent from everything and all the consequences that happened when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and, and killed her husband Uriah. He repented and he contended for the healing of his son. Nehemiah fasted and mourned and prayed because he first learned that Jerusalem, even after Ezra had been there, the walls were still broken down and the progress wasn't moving forward and it just grieved his heart. So he went to the Lord. Jonah fasted and he brought the whole city of Nineveh along because he went to tell them God 
God's going to destroy you unless you get your, your life right. And the entire city fasted and prayed and asked God for mercy and received mercy from the Lord. Uh, in the New Testament, a lady named Anna, 84 years old. And she didn't just fast, she lived a fasted lifestyle. In fact, so much so she was characterized as being in the temple, constantly worshiping, constantly acknowledging, constantly asking the Lord about the Messiah and praying and declaring. If you say, hey, anybody seen Anna? Check the temple. She just lived a fasted lifestyle consecrated to the Lord, and the Lord blessed her because of that. Deeper into the book of Acts, we have Paul and Barnabas that was in prayer and fasting with the elders, and because of that, they got, not only did they get the wisdom of the Lord to handle situations, but they were spoken by the Lord to launch Paul and Barnabas into their ministry. Paul ended up witnessing to the Gentiles and writing three quarters of the New Testament. Jesus is our best example always. He fasted 40 days right after he was baptized in the River Jordan and he walked out of there and the Bible says he was empowered by the Spirit. He turned around and taught his disciples that fasting is not only legit and super important, but there are some instances of addictions and bondages and deliverances in our life that are going to take us dedicating ourselves to fasting and prayer so that we can allow the Lord to break those off of our life or the lives of other individuals. We could go on and on. It's all over the Bible. So much so that a number of scholars see fasting as the most underappreciated and underutilized spiritual practice and a significant contribution to the fact that, that uh, to why we don't see more of God's power in our lives because the truth, and this is a quote from one of them, we would much rather feast than fast. Always looking for the blessings of the Lord, but not looking for ways to, to hone and to align ourselves so that we can step deeper into the plan of the Lord or the relationship with the Lord. So, we get to, the, I already mentioned, but we get to the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching not just about fasting from food, but he's preaching about five areas of fasting that if we begin to examine and we incorporate in our life, it leads us to a fasted lifestyle. He talks about fasting food, of course, time, energy, money, and words. And every one of those starts with when you do this, not if you do this. And he always gives a corresponding action. For example, giving is a type of fasting. Because you are fasting financial strength, you're financing self-gratitude, self self-indulgence with what you could do with the money. Instead, you are intentionally investing it into the kingdom of God or investing it on behalf of the Lord to help people that, that are less fortunate. Serving in prayer is fasting of your time and your energy both helping other people, investing in their lives, or in prayer, oftentimes intercession. Nobody even knows that you're praying, but, but the Lord speaks to you, and you're taking time aside to pray for some individual or to pray for a situation that you may or may not even be involved in. But you're investing your time as part of this fasting and pulling away with the Lord. Blessing your enemies is fasting. You fast with your words. You fast with your desire to retaliate. To your desire to, to reestablish, well, somebody's got to say the truth, and, and yet the Bible says that we bless our enemies, and we bless those that are despitefully using and abusing us. Of course, there's giving up food, and that's fasting our, our physical and our emotional strength, uh, and then in today's culture, Pastor Brandon already mentioned it, uh, and it's on that card, but there's a number of, of other things that feed us, lots of entertainment, 
lots of things that, you know, just, just take the pressure off and let us escape. Let them medicate us in different areas of our life. All of those things, and, and I'm, I'm assuming that all of those things, that none of those things rather show up in the categories of immorality or just outright sin. But even in the things that are good, fasting, <clears throat> those are things that we say we're going to cover our mouth, not physically maybe, but emotionally. We're going to cover us mentally so that we're not just doing the things and, and nourishing ourselves with those kinds of things. Instead, we're pulling away and allowing the Lord uh, to, uh, to do that. Uh, let me narrow it down one more thing and we're going to get into some scripture, okay? So we, we talk about the fact that it's going to help us again to, to draw closer to God, to, to gain, to maintain spiritual balance and, and vitality. All, that's why fasting's always connected with prayer and the word. If you're just going to skip meals, then you might as well not even do it, spiritually speaking, because it's always connected to more time with the Lord. But more specifically, Fasting softens our hardened hearts. Areas where, when I say hardened heart, it's not just hardened to sin. It might be areas where you were hurt and rather than knowing how and rather than dealing with that and allowing uh, healing to come, you just built a wall around it. And you just don't let anybody in there. It's locked down in a safe and you've got all these little tiny places of your heart that have a callus on it because you didn't know how to refresh and you didn't know how to come to the Lord to receive healing, but it will soften those hardened areas of your heart. It'll expose selfishness and pride and you don't have to get into the fast. The moment you say, I think I'm gonna fast, you'll, you'll, that selfishness and that pride will pop up and it'll begin to argue and talk to you out of it. Here, here's the things that leans us forward. It sharpens dull hearing. Because lots of times, it's not that the Lord's not speaking, we're not hearing him because we've got so many other voices, so many other distractions, so many things we're bringing into our life and into our thinking to medicate, to refresh, to just take our mind off everything. We can't hear the Lord speak, but it sharpens dull, dull hearing. Uh, it trains your undisciplined flesh. If you haven't done very many things before, if you just kind of figure life out and you don't really challenge yourself to do things that you don't want to do, then you're in for a surprise because your flesh is quite strong actually and it's quite content as long as you don't tell it what to do. It wants to tell you what to do. And so it'll train your undisciplined flesh and in doing these things, it'll help to release God's power especially in areas that have been hard to navigate, areas that are stopped up, areas that you feel like for some reason God just doesn't want, want to talk to me about that, and it's not true. It's just that we're not in the right position to allow God to move. Now, these are always important in our life all the time, but these become especially important the deeper we get into what the New Testament calls the last days. In fact, I just want to read to you a few things from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and as I'm reading, listen, see if you can see yourself. Maybe not yourself, you know, in, as a whole, but see if you can see some traits, some little tiny flecks of things that you know are happening in your life. And if so, then this is, a, this is a great sign to you. You're definitely a candidate that fasting can help that. Let me just read this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but know this. Other translations, like there's no mistake about it. This is as clear as I can make it. This is absolutely going to happen. That in the last days, perilous times will come. And the word perilous is only used one other time in the New Testament, uh, and it all, it's talking about something that's so dangerous 
that's so, so vicious that people literally steer around it. They just don't want to confront that. He says it's going to be some of the most dangerous times we live in. And your mind might go to what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Well, yeah, there's earthquakes and there's pestilence and, and, and there's, uh, there's wars and, and, and there's cataclysmic events that are happening. That's not, he doesn't list any of that. He said that's not the most dangerous. Those are dangerous. But the most dangerous things is when you have people, by and large, that are lovers of themselves. Men shall be lovers of themselves. By the way, women too. But if you go back and read the passage, he's not just talking about people that are unsaved. He's saying, this is going to be true in the church. This is going to be true in Christian lives because the culture is so polluted and the culture is so intense and pressurized that we just begin to drift and we're not realigning ourselves. He says, so for men will become lovers of pleasure, or lovers of themselves, <clears throat> lovers of money, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> boasters, proud, <clears throat> blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. That's a really big one. Slanders, <clears throat> without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. Other translations say super stubborn. Haughty, here's one, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Boy, if that doesn't classify our culture. I mean, having, a, and here, here's the thing, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Not denying, you know, the explosive, we're in the building, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the table splits in half, and the angelic lightning bolt comes down. It's not that. I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying the power of God, the transforming power, the ability to do things in our life supernaturally, even though they might look subtle, but over a period of time or sometimes in a moment, God will change our heart, change our perspective, snap a chain, an addiction away from us, take a relationship that's upside down and turn it right side up again and give it a fresh start. See, all of these things, you have people that will be uh, be walking in a form of godliness. They're acting like they're Christians, but nothing in their life is opening them up to the consecration, to the alignment, so the power of God can come and transform and heal and restore and work in and through them and their family. It says this is going to classify the last days. And once you understand how fasting plays a part in that to counteract that, once you understand how you're the one who, who gets to, to navigate whether or not you lean in and allow God and his word to clean your life or you stay over here cluttered and, 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 you know, and, uh, and hindered by all of this because life seems to be at an acceptable level for you, that's your decision. That's not the Lord. And I know a lot of Christians say, well, you know, this is just the Lord. No, it's not. The Bible is really clear. In fact, once you understand that, you can go to the most popular passage on, on fasting in the Bible. That's Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 pulls all of this together, and it encompasses what Matthew chapter 6 says in those five areas. It, it counters the self-interest, selfishness that we have in our flesh that's listed in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it confirms the spiritual power, the energy, and the realignment that God promises when we fast. In fact, we can't study it this morning, but I'm just going to read the portion, a portion of it real quick, and you listen now. 
But listen with ears that understand what fasting's for. Listen with the, with the five different areas that Jesus pointed out fasting is involving. And, and listen with the selfishness and the self-centeredness that 2 Timothy 3, watch how Isaiah 58 just capsulizes all of that and tells us fasting will fix it. Fasting will just scrub it clean and put you, put you right on the pot. Listen to this, Isaiah 58, I'm gonna start in verse number six. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Uh, The first five verses is the fasting he doesn't want, by the way, in case you want to get some context. He says, free those who are wrongly in prison. Now, let me just stop. If we read this literally, then half of this list is going to disappear and not impact us. But remember, the Bible's full of these double or these layered meanings. So some of this could be literally applied, but uh, but a lot of this has a metaphorical or has a spiritual meaning to it. So read it with those eyes, recognizing that God, God's speaking inside and he's using things outside often to help us to understand that. You don't have to be a theologian to get that, all right? So the first thing he says is free those who are wrongly in prison. Let me give you one example. I can't, I can't keep going, but one example. Wrongly in prison would be the area of forgiveness. <clears throat> Some of you people have wronged you, they, and they really did. They hurt you, they really did but you've kept them in a prison in your heart this whole time. You have not been able to release them. You've not been able to forgive them. Even though the Bible says that Jesus has forgiven you from a great deal, not just when you got saved, but every day of your life. But somehow, and I'm not saying that all of you have this heart and say, I will never forgive. You just can't seem to do it. You just can't seem to forget. You can't seem to, when you walk in a room or someone mentions their name or you have to be at a gathering or an event, you can't get that knot out of your stomach. You can't get that lump in your throat. You can't get that feeling of tenseness and pressure and, and unease. All that has to do with unforgiveness. And he's saying, here's the fast I'm talking about. He said, set those who were wrongly in prison free. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. And your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I'm here, and he he will quickly reply. So remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors, blaming other people, gossiping about them, giving your own opinion about things that are not actually factual. He says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around Uh, And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry uh, and restoring your strength. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Again, literally, but think spiritually, think metaphorically. Think about rebuilding the generations of broken families. Think about being able to restore people groups, relationships, and, and, and even business ideas and, and business ventures that have broken down. Think about you being able, because of the wisdom of God and the favor of God moving through you, think about you being able to be the one that can come put it all back together and restore it. That's what he's promising. 
He goes on and he says, and the restorer of homes. Other translations talk about the restorer of generations. It means bringing lost kids back. It means bringing extended family back together. All of these things are in God's heart. He goes on and he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. I think I'll read that one again. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath, listen, and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will, will be your delight. And then, then, then God says, okay, that's enough with the prophet. I'm gonna say this last line. He starts talking. He says, I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, I, I don't know about you, Okay, but if you read, you don't have to be theological, but if you read this, I read it and I'm like, wow. There's a bunch of stuff in there that I want to see the next step. I want the Lord to be moving in and through my life. I don't want to live all shackled and, and, you know, and, and dry and broken down. I want to live clean. I want to be the best version of me that I can be. Who wouldn't want that? And so fasting becomes something that's attractive, which leads us to quickly, we have to at least look at a couple things about what fasting is not. Because once people understand what fasting's for, a lot of people lean in and say, okay, then I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna fast. Well, let me just quickly tell you what fasting is not, all right? Number one, fasting is not to show God how spiritual you are. Not. And right on, on the heels of that, fasting is not to earn God's favor. Now, let me just tell an embarrassing story. I was in my first year of Bible college. Uh, my brother Jerry was a semester ahead of me. And we, man, we just really loved the Lord. We were trying to understand how to serve God. And so we decided that we were going to fast. We're just not going to eat anything. And we're going to go on a fast for this one day. What we didn't stop to follow all the way through is that the one day that we chose was Thanksgiving. We knew that part. And we just thought God would say, wow, Thanksgiving, that, that's a big one. I mean, you guys, are, you, you guys are dedicated to that. What we didn't think about was my mom had been up cooking all night. And when she called the family to the dinner table, we rather piously announced, we're fasting. Let me just say, heaven did not descend in our home on that day. But see, it was because we, we had a right heart, but we thought we were doing it on this sacred day without telling anybody because we didn't want to be prideful. We thought we were doing all this and somehow God was going to say, wow, I'm really going to bless you guys. And it was a disaster because we didn't understand the principles, right? So that's really important. In fact, here's what we found out in, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, uh, the prophet tells Saul there, he says, hey, God's really not after your sacrifices. I mean, that's part of it, but he's after obedience. He wants your heart to be humbled before him. So listen, you don't get extra brownie points when you choose the 21 days of fasting for making it as hard as possible. I'm gonna fast everything in my life from the top to the bottom. There's not extra brownie points for that, guys. It's about a humility of the heart and it's about taking steps to move closer to God, not to see how much suffering you can create for yourself so that the Lord thinks you're really serious, okay? Don't do that. Ephesians chapter one, verse three tells us we've already been blessed 
If you're a Christian, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We're not trying to get things from God, which kind of leads to this last one. Fasting is not to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do. And lots of Christians think it is, right? Because you've asked the Lord to do something. He doesn't seem to be doing it. I know what to do. I'll fast. And then he'll have to do it. Because the Bible says that if I do this, this discipline thing, then God will have to do what he promised he would do. Let me just tell you, it's a flawed equation. Okay? You're never going to get God to do what he doesn't want to do. In fact, let me give you a couple of principles that if you understand, you'll just throw that whole strategy away. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever your word has been established in heaven. If he said it in the Bible... He'll do it. If he didn't say it in the Bible, ain't gonna happen. This is established. This is settled. He put the pen down. He's not writing anything anymore. In fact, he spoke through the Apostle Paul and he said, by the way, if anybody tries to add to it or anybody tries to scribble something out, then those people are in for some hard knocks because God establishes word in heaven. But we also know in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all of the promises of God are already Yes. And they're in him, amen, listen to this, to the glory of God. Here's the part that a lot of Christians miss, to the glory of God, amen, to the glory of God through us. So many Christians think, well, we're waiting for God. If God wants to do it, he can do it. No, God's already made the first move. He's laid all the promises out. He established the word of God in principles. He's given us opportunity to align and to sharpen, but we get to make the move whether we're gonna line up. All right, let me give you this last part, and these will go relatively quick. Three relevant reasons then why we here in the last day of 2023, why we should be leaning in and prayerfully considering getting on this 21-day fast uh, on, on, uh, on January the 8th. And you're going to find them in the book of Ezra. But let me just encapsulize them real quick in Ezra chapter 8. The first reason that we need to fast, uh, that we need to fast in 2021 is because God knows what we don't. God knows what we don't. In verse number 21 of Ezra chapter 8, Ezra said that he called for a fast. He had to lead thousands of people in a 900-mile journey on foot to get back to Jerusalem in order to be able to, to, uh, to, to begin to work on the city. And so he realized we are completely overwhelmed. So the first thing he did was he fasted and humbled himself before God. And, and here, here's the thing. Sometimes... Some, I mean, it's important for us to be educated. It's important for us to do our homework and our research. It's super helpful when we have experience and guidance and strategy. But let me tell you something. None of us can know the future. You, the best laid plans, right? You, you can put your plan together and something shifts in the economy. Something shifts in the culture. Something shifts in politics. And all of a sudden, everything you've worked for and staked your life on that this is going to move forward goes a different direction. And, and we know that because we, we, we stay up at nights if we're not careful. Worry that this kind of things will happen. Not only that, you don't know how people are going to react. People that are shoulder to shoulder with you today can get a, a different idea and be your, your adversary or your nemesis tomorrow. I'm not talking about just secular people or secular situations in the church, in your family. We get something from the Lord and all of a sudden unity's thrown out the window because we've got a passion. We've got a word from the Lord about something and, and all of those things are addressed in scripture. 
about the importance of us being able to come back together and reason and speak the truth in love, make every effort to stay in unity because we have no idea how people are going to act. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, it's, God says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. And he will. Everything I planned will come to pass, for I will do whatever I wish. I know that I've met people that feel very in, independent, very self-sufficient, and by the way, they're, they're competent people. They're top of their field in, in their different, uh, different arenas, uh, skilled, educated, experienced, accomplished, and it's wonderful. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, every single one of us are guessing at best. We're guessing. Educated guests, informed guesses, trends and, 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 and advice, and, but we're guessing at best unless we listen to the Lord. Here's that scripture I quoted earlier in Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems like it's right to a man, but the end will crash and burn if you're not trusting the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord, listen to this, with all of your heart. All of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. So it tells you what to do. And then it tells you what not to do. It says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. In all of your ways, that means in your mannerisms, in your day-to-day life, acknowledge him, be looking to him, and then he will direct the trajectory of your life. You worry about today, God will worry about the future. God will line you up and make sure the future's lined up. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he, that's God talking, delights in his way. He puts your steps together and as he sees you just walking in the footprints that he's lined up, principles and truths and the Holy Spirit nudging and guiding you and you're just living your life the best you can, listening to the Lord. The Bible says, man, God smiles and he delights because he knows your trajectory. He knows where he's going to get you to. In fact, it goes on verse 24 and says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've heard people say, man, if this doesn't work, I'm done. And I think, well, not if you're a believer. You're never done. You can fall all the way to the dirt, but the Lord will pick you back up because he promised he would because he's watching. Pastor Brandon wrote something in our teaching team outline as he was putting some of this together. And he wrote this, that presumptuous living is both destructive and expensive. The result is we end up paying the price we didn't have to pay because we didn't ask God what to do. Boy, that's such fundamental Bible, but such true wisdom for us to be able to live the best life God has. Here's number two. Uh, Not only does God know what, uh, what, what we don't know, God can do what we can't do. here's something that's interesting that you can just kind of watch your life and watch the lives of other people. Not judgmentally, but just in understanding. Listen, whatever you run to the first and the most, that's what you really depend on. You can tell people, no, I'm depending on the Lord, but you never go to him. Only when you're in crisis. Only when it's so like, well, I don't know what else to do. I guess we should pray. And I'm, listen, this is not a judgment. This is what happens in the life that we live. There's a drift. That's not where you started out. That's not where your heart is. But little by little, the, the hurriedness and the intensity and the busyness and the flood of things that come, we're just trying to make decisions and navigate and, and understand and keep ourselves propped up. And little by little, we don't take the time. We don't have the time to ask the Lord. And you'll find other things, 
other resources that are just convenient. And by the way, on at least a practical level, they work. And see, when we read in Ezra chapter 8, he knew he didn't have the wisdom. He didn't have the resources to do this. And so the Bible says that he went, he fasted, he humbled himself before the Lord. No matter how smart, no matter how accomplished, no matter how secure that you feel like you've got your, 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 your future built, without the Lord, it's, it's just a breath away from crumbling. But with the Lord... You humble yourself, and God says that he will step in. Listen, none of us are as independent as we think. In fact, I, I'm going to say this challenging statement, and, and I'm just going to blanket it, right? And so you, you can take it in and judge it for yourself. Throw it away if it doesn't apply. But I don't care how independent, how successful, how put together you are. Every single one of us have stuff. Every single one of us have areas of our life. Some of them are big and obvious. Some of them are really small. And we keep them in the deepest closet of our life so that nobody knows. But every single one of us have stuff that we are desperate for God's help. Desperate. But that takes a humility to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I have to have you come and to help me with this. Let me give you the last one, and we'll bring this to a close. The last one is that God honors and answers our seeking him. He really does. He pays attention to this. Again, you're not to impress him. You're not trying to make him think you're super spiritual. You're not putting him in the, on the negotiation table and saying, well, I'm going to do this, so you have to do this. That'll never work with the Lord. But when, when you humble your heart and you come and say, Lord, I want my life to be lined up. I, I, I not only want to do well, I want to be well. And when you begin to come, God will honor and he'll answer that. In fact, the Bible says, uh, Ezra in chapter, uh, verse 23 of chapter 8 says, So we fasted and we earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. Listen to this. And he heard our prayer. This is the heartbeat of Daniel chapter 10 when we read about this, the, this famous 21-day fast when the angel shows up. In fact, let me just read this to you. It says, Suddenly the hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking, this is an angel speaking, by the way, while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. And listen to this. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before the Lord your God, your words were heard. And I have come to you because of your words. What if Daniel wouldn't have humbled him, his heart? What if he wouldn't have prayed? What if he'd have skipped a few meals and ate vegan for three weeks? No, no, no. It's the humbling of the heart. And, and the words of God crying out to God. We see this all over the New Testament, but one of the most condensed forms is when Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone, say everyone. That includes you, by the way. It includes you in the instruction to ask, to seek, to knock, but it includes you on the promise. He says, everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be open to you. God promises that. I should interject that when it says ask and seek and knock. Those are in the verb tense that means ask and keep on asking. 
Keep pursuing it. Lean into that. Don't just ask one time, you know, uh, oh, like, bless our food today as we're about to eat. And by the way, Lord, I need you to help me with that situation. Okay, got that taken care of. No, leaning in, consecrating yourself, taking some time, pulling away from other things that are distractions and saying, Lord, I need you to walk me through this. The Bible says that every single person who asks, who leans in, every single person who's really looking Every single person who's really knocking and saying, Lord, I need you to open this up to me. Every single person God responds to and he will. Again, fasting's not showing God how spiritual you are. It's not proving to him that you're serious and so he'll finally do something. It's not getting him to do something that he's not already wanting to do. God is leaning forward. He wants to help and to bless us. But fasting and prayer is humbling yourself and saying, God, I don't care whether I'm in excellent circumstances, best of my life, or I'm really struggling. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I I can't know the future. I can't fix every part of my life. I can't assure that I'm leaving the legacy and the generation that will speak on through eternity. I can't do any of that stuff. I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I need you to protect me, I need you to provide me, and I need you to favor to be on me in a relationship so that you can walk me through. As you do that, the Bible promises, promises, promises that God will respond to you every time. He'll come quick. As you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. Next week, Pastor Brandon's gonna continue this and begin to talk about how to prepare your heart. And we're gonna make decisions and we're gonna step into a 21 day of prayer and fasting. And listen to me, I'm, I'm asking you this week, Begin to pray about that. Say, Lord, help me to do this. Maybe I've been successful. Maybe I haven't been successful. But we want to make this a meaningful one, and we want to begin to learn something about how to draw close to the Lord. So begin to choose some things. Write something down. Don't make any hardline decisions yet. Begin to choose things that are, that, that are manageable but not comfortable, right? If you're choosing the right thing, your flesh is going to say, no, no, don't pick that. Pick something else. Let's not eat Brussels sprouts for 21 days. <laughs> But find something that nourishes you that, that would be beneficial for you to replace and say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to binge Netflix four hours every night. Instead, I'm going to take some of that time and I'm going to spend making sure I'm doing my reading and journaling. I'm going to take a walk and Lord, you and I are going to have some conversation on the walk. See, it's those kinds of things where you're drawing close to God. And boy, the moment you do, from the very first time you make that decision and you take that step, God leans in and begins to respond. This is what we're anticipating. Can you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you this morning. And then we're going to end in one more worship song. I, I, I pray that you would sing this worship song as a declaration of worship to the Lord. We're only going to be another moment or two. But this is so important to posture your heart and to invite the Lord to come help us in this. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for setting up these things that we can step into. And then you come and you empower us and you encourage us. Lord, I I bet you there's people under the sound of my voice, whether in the room or online, and they've tried this fasting thing over and over again. And it was so hard and so discouraging and didn't seem like it yielded anything on the backside. But I pray that you would erase all of that. You would introduce them to the heartbeat of what this is really all about. And Lord, you would show up like never before. For those of us that have done this before and we've seen the fruit, Lord, inspire us freshly. Inspire us in a brand new way and help us to lean in and discover a whole nother level of intimacy. Clean every one of us. 
Focus every one of us. Align every one of our lives for all that you have for us in 2024. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.